Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 48 of the Design Exec Club. Uh, we're in Asia today. We're with the next generation, and we're talking about how do we get to a better future faster. Um, I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me are some really smart minds across multiple generations. We're going to show you who's paired up with who. It's really easy for Catherine and Felisa because you're there in your own frame. Yeah, give us a wave. Hello. No? All right. We'll, we'll try that again. Um, uh, Karen, give us a wave there in your frame. Hello? Okay. We're good. All right. Um, uh, Julian Francesca, if you can give us a wave down there. All right. Adrian and Elliot, give us a wave, the two of you. Okay. you're That's why you're here in Inez and Chelsea. Okay. It was pretty obvious it was going to be you guys because uh, you were the last two that we hadn't mentioned. So what we've done is we've asked a, a designer who has actually been in the industry for a little while to then go get somebody who's coming through in the next generation and we want to listen to what those next generation people say. And this is quite interesting because most of the designers that are on the call aren't used to always listening. Sometimes they're often used to um, talking. So this is a great day today to do this. Um, I'm trying to work out who should I go to first. Chelsea, seeing you were the first one to dial in on the call, I'm going to throw to you first. Um, Chelsea, tell me about the jobs that you think that need to be done so that we can get to a better future. Thanks so much, Mark. Nice to see everyone. And I'm really happy to be involved in this conversation. Um, I think for me, one of the most important focuses is people. Um, I think for a really long time, the connection between design and between work and between people actually hasn't been super clear. Um, and ironically, with the, the last year and all the changes that have happened in the workplace, you can see behind me, um, meeting rooms, I work in flexible workspace. Um, the, there was a disconnect between the experience that people were having, the work that they were doing, and the people that were actually creating the spaces where that work needs to be done. And I think in the future, one of the biggest shifts that we can see that would have a positive impact both on the, the health and wellness of people physically and mentally, but also the efficiencies built into organizations is to ask people actually what they do during their day and what space is going to be the most beneficial for them or what kinds of spaces actually. And to really educate people that you you don't have to work the same way every day in the same kind of space. And to create that choice is going to be a really powerful thing. Okay. What I love about that is you started us off with a, with a dilemma there. It's like, it's really hard to actually find a handle to put your hand onto exactly what that is. So let me see if I can summarize it. And if we get somewhere, help me if I, if I haven't got it hundred percent right. Your, your concern is that we need to go and consider the way that people exist in the different spaces that they're in, and that existence being the comfort that they have, but also their well-being. Is that a reasonable summary? Yeah, I think, and also I, we need to understand what people actually do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Because we work in very general terms a lot of the time. So I work in marketing, but what does that mean, right? I do a lot of different things under the title of head of marketing for the executive center, right? And so understanding that in, in this case, I'm on a call with all of you, intelligent people. So I need a room that's small, that's private, that doesn't have distractions, that has good lighting, that has good microphone capabilities, right? But in an hour's time, I'm going to have a big conference call with my team. So I need to have a bigger meeting room with video conferencing facilities, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's about understanding throughout the day the different tasks that people are doing and then creating different spaces and then enabling people to know, hey, I can move around and use these different spaces depending on what I'm doing. Okay. So it's uh, if I put it in design language, it's uh, having an inventory of their unmet needs and making sure we can try to meet those, those needs. 
Okay, cool. Got that one there. Um, I'm going to go across here to uh, Felicia and help us out. What do you think are the jobs that we need to get done? Hey, everyone. I have worked in the design industry for, for several years already because I, I started from, from event marketing. I went through digital marketing, then I went through the go to the retail design. And now I'm doing hospitality interior design. Um, I think I experienced uh, the importance of uh, work-life balance, especially in Hong Kong, which we all knew that um, Hong Kong has uh, very high uh, working hours and we have uh, the most difficult affordable <laughs> housing. housing, And uh, we also... We have very diversity at the same time is very competitive working like a business environment. So all these make us, our lives in Hong Kong very dynamic. At the same time, it's very stressful. And I believe that it, it makes it even worse during the COVID time for us. So um, for now, I think we, we for the next generation, if we want to, make sure that they have a better life. We need to improve the, the working environment like our working hours and um, also on the, on the work environment based on in terms of the team, like people, how we, um, the team diversity, the team culture, how we going to work with each other. Because um, based on worked Work-life balance. We talk about working hours. Hong Kong is very long working hours. We are most likely when I date back to the time I working in marketing or or advertising. We used to work more than 10, 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. and sometimes I do I do more than twelve hours a day. That is very very stressful, and I'm and this happen to to younger generation especially for uh, graduates because uh, we have less opportunity to to voice out our our opinion our our thoughts but we are the doer we also take a task and and we do it but but less less chance for us to tell what we think about the we get our our voice to be listened I think that's something that we need to address too. Yeah, and, and I think if you're, you aptly refer to it as that you're the doers and we don't often listen to the voice of doers. We actually say, do this and when the thing's done, come back. So so there's, what's really interesting there, there's a, a very complex scenario that you were talking about, about work-life balance. But I think if I got into it, it's actually not being heard. And if you're not being heard, then you're not able to go and actually evolve things. And and I think that's a, a very interesting thread there. Elliot, you're in a you're in a slightly different um, circumstance. And why don't you help us out? What you think the jobs are that need to be done? Um, so yeah, so I understand what um, she was saying uh, because like uh, like for now uh, I'm doing like an internship while I'm at school and balancing all that whole life work balance. And so I understand where where she's coming from. And it's also like um, you really understand going to live in Hong Kong and going to university in the UK, uh, the difference between like the work laws, basically. 
uh, why are we working so much in Hong Kong? Because there's not a lot of job security. Uh, in the UK or France, if you would lose your job, you would have two months of um, like paid job and then you would have time to find a job. And that's a different dynamic and that's just the way it is for now. Um, so what jobs need to be done for me it's not about people at all. Um, that's why I kind of disagree. Uh, since we're talking about the environment, we should think mostly about the planet itself and how we interact as people with the planet um, and blending technology with um, design, as well as looking at biology to have a cleaner and smoother approach to design. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I'm going to take two things out of there. Was uh, I, re I really like the security and the equity part? That that's a that's a very interesting insight. If you're got an insecure financial future, you're probably going to do some things that you're otherwise would say that's too that's unfair. You shouldn't be asking me to do that. So I think there's a, that's a very interesting point there, and that and that comes down to equity and what are the social standards that uh, that are in a society. Um, what what are people's equity there? And that's a very interesting conversation uh, conversation to have. The environment part is really interesting. If we go in and we think of in uh, our future, and we go thinking ten years, we say, oh, we've got a lot of work to do with the environment. If we go thinking thirty years, we've still got a lot of work. Fifty years, a lot of work. What's interesting, by the time we get out to fifty years, it's either we're all extinct because of a range of factors that are there. Or we've got different challenges because there's no more coal and there's also no more oil. That's we've we've run out of that. And so you so we go into the environment, you say, well, we're not actually talking about how do we recycle plastics. It's actually we've already had that there has been plastics reserved for medical use because the only way that we can go make a syringe to go give the vaccine is using plastic. And that plastic is now, a, it's not something that's in abundance, it's now in short supply. So we wind up with very interesting problems that come into, into our environment. So I suppose it, it matters on where you look at it in time. Now, apparently, the governments of the world have said that by 2050 or 2060, we're going to be at net, net carbon uh, zero, um, which is that, uh, was that just delaying the problem down the track or are we really on track to go do that? We're going to see, see what that is as we go forward, but it's going to be people of your generations who are going to be the responsible ones to actually make a lot of noise about have they or haven't they got there? Because in 30 years' time, Elliot, you're going to be probably uh, somewhere well, a little bit younger than where I am at the moment, but you're actually somebody as a, a senior player in the, in the business world. Actually, you're all going to be in that role. And that means that there's actually in 30 years' time, when we get to 2050, you're going to be the ones who say, how come we didn't get here? So that's part of the reason why I think we're trying to have those conversations there. Francesca, help us out here. You're the youngest member of the call here. How, how old are you, Francesca? I'm 17 years old. 17. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, so you're... You're in that Greta Thunberg age where, by the way, I'm sorry, it's taken 30 years, blah, 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 we haven't done anything. We, we get that. But, but you've got the, this observation of what you think the world will be and that to me is really interesting because you've probably looked at a whole bunch of things and planted your, your palm on your forehead and said, why are they doing it that way? What do you think the jobs are that we need to get done? The list is endless. Uh I think about this a lot, especially since I go to school every day or I meet my friends. The problem we definitely need to focus on is safety, especially safety towards other people, 
or against COVID-19, which is a big problem right now. But uh, I think uh, it's, it's exactly what you said, survive to thrive. Uh, but we have to make it easier to survive so we can continue living. As just when you look around everywhere, people suddenly can't walk outside in the dark. Uh, you don't feel safe with other people, which is a big problem. Uh, especially, and that, that actually, it all comes down to ignorance or just not knowing other people, but their religion or their heritage. You're just, you're scared of them because you just don't know enough. And that's why that we struggle a lot. With. So I'm interested there because you've mentioned, uh, say, a biological safety, which is the, the virus side. There's a physical safety in there. If we go back to Elliot, there was actually um, looking at the the security and the equity about about earning and why people are doing. So that's a safety thing. Do you feel safe in the work environment that you're in? If I go look, um, looking at work-life balance and it being stressful, that's probably stressful because you don't feel safe and secure that's in there. And then if I go right up to the top, we've got comfort and well-being was what we were talking about. The, what are people's needs there? So there's this thread that's coming through, which is rather than actually feeling safe, and secure, and that the world is your oyster, there's some cautions that you've got. And those cautions might be actually stopping you from accelerating to where, where you think we need to go. Okay, I'm going to ask really quickly here, Ines, what do you think are some of the jobs that we need to go do? Oh, well, 2020 has shown us that technology is the future. You know, there's no stopping it. We're now meeting on Zoom. Uh, video conferencing is here to stay. Six months ago, people were saying, yeah, yeah, it'll all go back to normal, but I don't think it is. So anything, I mean, embrace technology and go with the new apps that are going to be out, the new platforms, uh, new ways of money being used. And in regards to design, like Chelsea said, I, I think since we are going to be doing video conferencing from now on out, hotels or spaces that people are using will need to incorporate uh, good lighting specifically for the video conferencing, uh, whether it's one on one or you're in one room or a, a conference room. And uh, so, yes, we need technicians to figure all that out or great lighting designers. So it's quite an honor to talk to all of you amazing top level designers. Maybe you can come up with something to facilitate, uh, to make it a standardized kind of, whether it's a lighting design or, you know, specific rooms catered towards different kinds of technological, uh, how we will be interacting with technology and, and it's here to stay. So um, and I'm one to embrace it. And my logo for Pitch Pro is a little portal. And it's basically walk through it, embrace it. AI is going to be here. Virtual reality is going to be in our lives everywhere. Uh, it's going to be in hotels. It's going to be in offices. And I think you've hit that. So if we're going to be meeting more through technology, then the quality of the room that we're in, whether it's a boomy room, you know, what are the acoustics in the room? The, the seat that you're sitting on, you know, how many of us normally sit still for half an hour or an hour? You know, I, I, and I know that when I do these, these sessions, I move off an office chair that might swivel around and I get onto a good old-fashioned Fritz Hansen, you know, a bit of uh, moulded plywood, which is just great to go sit on. But then I've also, I think the lights that I've got here in the camera is about the same price as the computer that I've got. And so you go, well, you know, they're, they're different values around the different sorts of audiovisual supports that you've got there. So, okay, so we've got some technology is actually, and how do you embrace that and how do you get good technology to get, come up with a good solution for you? Because 
Um, we ran the App Design Awards for a number of years, and the motto that we had with that was there's more crap apps than there are great apps, and the crap apps, uh, I think a lot of us have experienced them, but then they disappear and you wind up with the good apps, and I think Zoom is a great example of that. Um, uh, so Karen, Can I just add one more thing? Yeah, please. Um, currently, we're used to an, the era of Web 2.0. What's coming is Web 3.0, and that's going to be a community-driven, just like what we're doing now, a community-driven sphere where we will all be able to kind of a decentralized way of speaking. Right now, we're used to something like Mind Valley, where there's one person giving information. But in the future, it will be more like this, and that's the success of Clubhouse. You know, community-driven uh, information and sharing uh, is, is where we're going next. And so that... Um, hopefully solve some of the problems that Francesca uh, mentioned about tolerance of, of people uh, of difference all around the world. And I know Julie's really into that as well. Yeah. So, so Web 3.0, here web, we are. Okay, so Web 3.0. It was there, I didn't, I didn't get the memo about Web 2.0. Oh, my God, Father, I'm feeling behind. I've got FOMO now. I, I, can, this out. I can share it with everyone, um, some of the facts, but they're very interesting. Please do, and then, and then we'll share it through the people who are watching this as well. Um, uh, Karen, help us out here. What do you think of the jobs that we need to get done? Uh, well, uh, we were talking about this earlier on, and we were kind of looking at it from the sort of global, more global aspect um, rather than the, the, the micro aspect. We were talking about the sustainability of, and, and like Elliot was saying about the importance of the planet, and the younger generation was talking to Felsha and the rest of my team here as well over lunch we sat and went through these questions and and the thing that came out with everybody really was the sustainability and and in especially in Hong Kong for recycling recycling is just one aspect of it and you mentioned about oil and gas and and coal and everything else and God hope we hope that we'll all be on completely renewable energy hopefully before 2050 I mean we want to be in carbon neutral on renewable energies long before that but it starts off with, you know, you mentioned recycling plastics and everything and recycling here is really, it's so low grade. There's, there's, there's no recycling policy in Hong Kong. They might put recycling bins out and people will notionally separate things. But at the end of the day, I'm convinced they all go into one landfill, you know, or there's small, small companies trying to make a difference, but it's not supported properly at government level. And we were talking and all my team, they, they say it's a big issue for them that they wish that the Hong Kong government would actually step up and really support and fund, properly fund recycling and make it not just policy, but part of everyday life. And, and they're all saying that they feel their generation is they all they're educated about recycling they understand about the importance of recycling and everything else but it's not coming from the government down it's not fully supported so um that was one aspect of it and the other aspect that's very important to to these guys is is housing and affordable housing because they are all working and they feel that this the idea of um there's a there's a cultural expectation for these long working hours here, which is just it's wrong, and that they feel like that they, you can push them to work 10, 12 hours, and they're supposed to be uh, working efficiently, effectively. But you can't if you're pushing somebody for 12 hours a day for the whole week. How and ask them to come in the weekend? How can they possibly be productive? But there's this cultural expectation of that. It's just the norm here, and I'm hoping that. What COVID has taught us, we're by building in the adaptability and the flexibility and flexible working hours. And you can work from home if you feel it's safe. It started even before COVID. When we were going through the protests in Hong Kong, there was days I would call the team and say, 
stay at home, work from home, it's just not safe. Don't go out or the MTRs closed down or the roads are blocked, stay at home. And we made sure that everybody was able to work from home. And I said, it's from my perspective, if as long as we can deliver on our projects, our clients are happy, we're still getting paid. I don't care how we do it. If we can, if we have to come into the office at certain points, we will, if not. So it's, it's about building an adaptability and flexibility. And I think it's taught us that we can operate in a much more human, flexible way that we don't have to force young people to be in the office for 12 hours a day and grinding away. And, you know, and and then the, the idea from that is because they feel that they do this because they're expected to do that and they're trying to make the money to afford housing, but housing here is just not affordable. You know, so that is... So the issue for them, really, the big issues on our list of things were the environment and it was the housing and it was the the working environment and getting a better life balance and understanding that there has to be a life work balance to make everybody healthy and safe and and make things affordable. Now, Hong Kong for uh, for the last, let's say, three to five years has had other priorities that they've been focusing on than advancing uh, uh, yeah. sustainability programs and advancing the way that work hours would be addressed. And that's one of the problems that when you go get a, um, a civil unrest movement that takes place, you're delaying getting on with the other important business that needs to be done. And so, so often what we do is, and even with the pandemic, we look at it and we go, well, well, isn't it good that we've worked out how to survive and keep things going? And you're saying, but it's like somebody put a huge handbrake on on the economy with the protests and with and with the pandemic, and it's actually meant that things that might have been done in a 12-month period are now being done in a two- or a five-year period, and that's really important to focus on. And that's going to happen all the way as we go through the future. As we, as we look what our priorities are, we're going to have things that actually get delayed. And I think in most of the world that recycling has been something which has really taken a back seat because of the pandemic and we look particularly around uh, medical waste that where medical waste could have been that there and so there's particular problems around biohazards but in many cases hospitals were taking everything that was in their front door was a biohazard because they hadn't worked out how to work out what was red and what was blue as they're coding for what's been infected and what hasn't and so then everything just went into landfill. There was no recycling that was taking place. And there's some of those macro examples of what's not right and because of our priorities that things shift. So we need to make sure that we're valuing that at a much higher level so that it doesn't get, get lost there again. Julie, help me out here. What do you think are some of the jobs that we need to go get done? I think our, our biggest thing, I think, touches on what everybody else has been talking about is that we really need to create a more much more inclusive um, world where we really take the time to understand who everyone is, what their goals are, what it is that they need, whether it's work, workspace and conferencing areas or environmental issues, but that we really start to listen to who people are and what they are and broaden our horizons about how we shape our society and use our limited resources um, to best shape a world that's going to work for everyone that's in it. Mm. Rather than just the people that are at the top or, you know, the few people that are, are making policy. 
Yes. I think that's been the really great thing about COVID, if you have to have a great thing about COVID. I think that the intense pressure that's, that's put on everyone, along at the same time with Black Lives Matter and everything that's happening, is that there's a whole groundswell being created at the individual level to fix a lot of these issues. You know, we finally came up with, um, excuse me, using non-essential workers, but we gave a title of importance to the people that have been ignored for so many years. That's a huge change that's happened because of COVID. And now we're seeing a lot of that trickling up to the policymakers who will change the policy that eventually will start doing this kind of back and forth trickle between the individuals and the policymakers that will really change our world. And all of that's being supported by uh, Web 3.0. That's what's coming up. I'm looking forward to that. That's great. But I think, you know, as technology changes, we change. And as we change, technology changes to support us. So I think all the things that we're seeing happening in technology and Web 3.0, which I don't know about yet, um, are all going to help redefine how we communicate with one another and how we can work together um, in this world. Mm -hmm. I was on a call with um, a bunch of my uh, New York architect peers last week, and we were talking about communication in the office, and uh, a couple of them stated quite emphatically that it was very important that everybody work in an office if you're in a design firm so that all the young people could learn by overhearing the conversations that their seniors are having. You know, that's how you're going to learn all these intricate things about the design industry. And I just said, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. I said, the world is changing. The way people communicate, the way Francesca communicates with her friends, is entirely different than the way we all communicated when we were listening to that guy in the corner yelling at the people, you know, swearing on the phone, yelling at the people on the construction site that things just weren't getting done properly. I mean, it already is changing. How often do we have phone calls? When I worked in our Shanghai office, primarily because of a language issue, I spent very little time on the phone. Almost all my communication was over texting and emails and that kind of thing. And I think that all of that's changing. And if we don't listen to how people are communicating now and incorporate that way of thinking into how we do our business as, what do we call it? Modern elders here, I think. <laughs> um, and don't support that way of communicating, we're going to lose. And we'll lose all those interests. We'll lose that next generation altogether. They'll go out and forge it all on their own, with or without us, if we're not careful. So there's much, much, much to learn from listening to the next generation people. Yeah. Francesca. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. We got that there. So, Adrian, tell us what you think uh, jobs that we need to do uh, from your perspective. Um, so broadly, and um, not necessarily a job, I think and we've started to see this change has been the um, sharing and kindness economy. Uh, I would link in things like mentoring um, and generally sharing information in a different way. I think, Julie, you touched on that in how we communicate and how we're communicating differently. So, and policy. You touched on policy. One of the things we've seen has been innovations being held up in red tape, in government red tape. Um, I'm thinking of the, the chap who did the boom in the ocean to collect all of the um, uh, plastic. The idea was great. It's taken so long to get off the ground. Was it funding? Was it international governance agreeing? I think there are so many exciting ideas that can change the future and they're held back. Is it monopolies? Is it, I don't know, conflict of interest? But the, the scaling up to go to large industry 
from an idea that could save us needs to be fast-tracked. And I think high-level policy needs to be changed. We were able to ban smoking very quickly. I think we need to look at banning other forms of pollution and we need to encourage other forms of recycling very quickly and make those changes. A lot of policy is a recommendation or is a guideline. I think it needs to be put on the statute book and turned into law. Um, and we've seen how, how changes like banning smoking inside has, has benefited yeah, right. everybody. So Absolutely. And, and there's an interesting thing that's going on with the calls here um, as people are coming on and off your microphones, that we're hearing background noise that's happening in your offices. Now, it's fine, it works, but it indicates that the spaces that you're in are, um, uh, say, shared audio spaces uh, which is not the not something we see in lots of other parts of the world. So that idea about the comfort and well-being that Chelsea brought in, where we're talking about you know the availability of spaces, I think we're going to see people move around a lot more and say, I need somewhere that I have to go work, and I have to go work there because that sanctity of the space actually helps me to be more productive, which is where we're seeing particularly. Um, shared working spaces, whether it's uh, the uh, the um, executive facilities that you've got, Chelsea, in your organisation, or at WeWork, it's not it's not that people are actually bolting themselves down to these environments or even hotel meeting rooms. They're going there because they've got a mission and they've got something that they're trying to go achieve. So I think that's a, a very interesting thing. So if I go through the threads that we've got here, we've got a bunch of points about it. Not everything is secure as we would imagine. We don't necessarily understand all of the needs and the problems that everyone has for, for their comfort and well-being. And that we've got a bunch of technology which is intersecting with people who are trying to be a little bit kinder to each other and that maybe we work out how to go and do things which are going to help us out. All the while we're actually worried about are we in a sustainable environment? And it, it's not the planet that's going to die, it's the humans that are going to die on the planet. You know, it's like so, so there's this underlying tension, which is, is there the security and safety for us that, uh, that we might imagine? So with that good news there, that there's some uh, issues in security and safety, help us out, and I want really quick, short, short things for everybody, about enablers and blockers. Chelsea, do you feel enabled in, the, in trying to do the work that you're trying to do and also... Um, you know, the idea of wanting to go and actually see a better future? Or do you think there's blockers there? And if there are, what are they? I think that in my organization, we're incredibly enabled. I mean, we're creating the spaces that we see based off of the feedback we get from our clients and our members. So in that sense, absolutely. Um, I think there are unfortunately still a lot of blockers. A lot of it comes from bureaucratic, inherited sort of hierarchical systems that that don't connect the different departments that need to make decisions together. So the pathways to make change are still very clunkly and sometimes very uh, invisible. Um, and that links back, I think, again, to the idea of, of education, which I've talked about before. Um, the fact that even if a space is designed in a very beautiful way and a way that has this activity-based working concept behind it if the people that are using that space don't feel empowered to use it and the behavior isn't something that's being championed by upper management, for example, then the space isn't going to serve the purpose that it was meant to do in the first place. So I think that's why going back to the idea of 
of understanding people and what they need is is a really important piece of this puzzle. Yeah, and uh, and the interesting thing there about the bureaucratic blockers. Um, that means that the idea of disruptive innovation isn't primary on the agenda. You know that uh, that there's uh, that there's we have to ask some hierarchical permission, or can we do this? Can't we do that? And I think Adrian touched on that as well. There, um, I want to go in there for uh, Felicia if you can help us out. Uh, enablers, blockers. Obviously, you're sitting next to somebody that you work with, so you can't actually say that there's blockers in the company. But you could, and uh, we'll find you a job elsewhere. I think Adrian. Oh, whatever she likes. <laughs> okay. So t- help us out. Uh, do you feel enabled, or are there things which are just thwarting you and blocking you? Um, one of the things which help us like improving it is definitely the technology. Because, um, for example, about environment or sustainability, I know now we have so many new advanced technology. For example, just talking about plastic. Actually, I, I read from news. We have some new technology that we, we can use some chemical dissolve the, the shells, the crab shells, and then turned it into um, sustainable, like biodegradable plastic, like a substitute. Then mm-hmm. I think these kind of like new new ideas, new new innovations. new tag innovations that would definitely um, need more support to make it to be um, applicable to like in the mask, so that we can we can use it in a really low cost so that we can everyone enjoy the benefit from it and that's required some definitely we requires government's funding on that on that part and um, but at the same time we do have the blogger is um, resources is um, we have many different um, sectors we need money and is we need a very good planning on the on how we used to like maximize maximize uh, the the benefit of what we invested in, but um, in general, um, I think because the technology just runs faster than when what we can imagine. Who gonna imagine we are using we are having more electronic cars like mm-hmm. uh, we reducing the fossil fuels and like non renewable energy in in a certain. So certain like 10 to 10 years period of time already. So I do believe that um, in five to 10 years, um, we can we can have something possibly like happen to make the make things greater. Yep. And, and I think it's really interesting that uh, if I look at, at Hong Kong and look at the Greater Bay Area that's in there, that catchment, there's a competition thing that occurs when you start to think of it as one market. And Hong Kong, as I understand it, has four very strong families, which means that you wind up with relatively low innovation and low competition because everyone's quite happy with their somewhere between 20 and 25% depends how, you know, how they're going at the moment. And then you've got this really interesting thing that the Bay Area scenario where in 45 minutes you've got 65 million people who, as your potential customers says to the four families, you're no longer the biggest fish in the pond because there's all of this economic activity that's happening within an hour of where everyone's living. 
So I, I, I find uh, I know there's all sorts of rights and uh, policy and the infrastructure issues that are there, but market economies change based on the people are getting a better deal somewhere. And so I think that's going to be very interesting to see how that future changes for Hong Kong just from market dynamics, because much of what's been spoken about it feels like it's constrained by people not wanting to be innovative because they're part of that uh, that 25% shareholding of, of the power power factor in Hong Kong. And that, change, that all changed, I think, when that uh, Kowloon station opened up and people go there. Karen, you want to... Um, it- you look over the Bay Area I and mean, when you're talking about and look at the, the speed, the just the rate of development over there and the innovation over there is by far leaving Hong Kong to dust. It's just, you know, it's incredible. And there's just so much to see and so much to do. And there's a lot of people taking their businesses over there and, you know, migrating over there. Before pre-COVID, there was a lot of cross-border travel over there because that's where I felt the future is. It's, it's so incredible over there. Can can I say something? Because I actually, I think this touches on something that that all of us have talked about um, sort of surreptitiously is that this idea of retention and what organizations have to do to bring in new talent and to attract them to want to be a part of our organizations, all of our organizations is going to be something that we're thinking of more and more as well. And it has to do with all the things that we've brought up, everything from the design of the space to is it a sustainable business to do we create these safe environments and and that's one of the challenges, I think, in, in the conversations that I hear about Greater Bay Area specifically, is this idea of retention. And, and so, Chelsea, there, one of the reasons why we began the Driven by Design Award programs is the idea of recognition. And we know that organisations that recognise their staff keep those staff for much longer than organisations who don't recognise them. And that's a, that's such an important thing. And you know, if you've got staff members that are only with you for two years or three years, if you can get them to become a four-year or five-year or even longer staff member, that cost-benefit to the organisation is phenomenal. So, getting to a culture of recognition, getting to a culture of listening to people, enabling them, saying, "Help take us into the future faster," all of those things are useful. But if you're hitting a marketplace which is actually not wanting to grow in a rapid way, that's going to be very frustrating. And I think if I look at the people who are on the call here, your businesses have a lot of that leverage coming from outside Hong Kong, is where some of the most exciting work is that you're doing. Elliot, help us out here. What do you think about enablers and blockers? Are you finding that you feel enabled or are there things that are standing in your way? Um, For me personally, not really, uh, because uh, it's all about, um, for me, actually having the most possibilities as possible. Uh, As a foreigner in Hong Kong, you have the chance to be able to work here and then get to go to university in another, in Europe, for example. But then you can still come back because you know Chinese or you know Cantonese, and you can move to different markets because you can speak English or Spanish or even French. Um, so that's not that's not really blocker for me. But from what enabled also for my generation, for example, is that we are so ingrained about climate change that most of these issues we've talked about, uh, then being like sustainable economy. Um, when we talk about um, having companies that uh, are sustainable, sorry, let's say it again. It's all standards that we need to achieve and that 
for us, for me, for example, in the future, there are going to become like standards that we have to have, and it's going to be just another normal. Mm. So, so yeah. And, and, and I love that you focus on that because when I go look at the idea of net zero, everyone's saying, oh, by 2050, we're getting to net zero. That's not a mission statement. That's a compliance statement. You know, if you look at in 2050, the people who manage to get to net zero are the losers of the competition. They're not the front runners. The front runners are at, they're beyond zero. They've worked out how to go and be abundant in creating energy. They've worked out new economic opportunities. They've changed models around. They haven't just got to compliance. And I think that's so often when we hear those statements like, oh, in 2050, we're going to be at zero. Well, that's the worst companies are at zero. The best companies are well and truly past that. And that's where the excitement is about actually saying, well, who are the people who are going to push those boundaries of what's possible after we've got past compliance and those standards in there? Uh, Francesca, help us out here. Enablers and blockers in your world, your imagination must be huge. Do you feel enabled to actually take that imagination forward? I do. I do feel like... I have a lot of opportunities to try new things, think of them. I do think a big problem we have, is, uh, I would say tradition, but a better word is people are too comfortable with the way things are. They don't really want to change. And that, that, that inhibits them and everybody else to try new things, trying to find new solutions. It stops them from thinking because uh, they're, just, they're just afraid to... They're afraid that something's going to go wrong or that they're just they're comfortable with how things are whether they're not right yep and uh, and then you know if we if we feel like we're enabled we, we can go do things so we feel like we're being blocked that can that can beat you up and wear you down over a period of time in this your your you know we're talking here about technologies We've got financial instruments which are going to change the change the way that we trade. We've got you know people moving around. We'll have new sustainable um, uh, industries that are out there. Do you think that we're enabled to go into the future and to make it better, or do you think we're going to go to hell in a handbasket? No, we're we're definitely enabled. I I think that we all need to learn how to embrace being online, be compelling online, have a personal brand where you can. Uh, express your vision, your opinion, uh, and become a thought leader in your industry. Anyone can do it. You know, you don't have to be scared about um, expressing yourself out when there. It, when before you could hide, you know, you didn't have to put yourself out there. Okay, so when everybody's able to go contact uh, professionals who can help them with their image and their personal brand, and they're all um, positioned as thought leaders, how do you position yourself as a thought doer, as somebody who actually Oh, I believe rather we, than perception. Yes, I whoever I talk to, I, I uh, enable them to see what their industry is and what uh, difference they can make in it. Because uh, in the older generation, perhaps you've been working the same industry for twenty years, and you don't necessarily see yourself as a, a personality. And by taking just content, I mean, some people say, "Oh my gosh, you sound like a life coach," which I don't. I just listen to what people are doing in their company. And no matter if it's an industry that I don't understand, like insurance, I'm able to break down what they do, highlight it and um, give them a voice, which is really important going forward. Otherwise you're just left behind. So Karen, help us out here. Enablers and blockers for you. You must see that you want to do things on projects 
do the clients want to go and actually put that sustainability by stealth into the projects or are they saying, can you do it for the lowest dollar and can we get the hell out of here and get on to the next thing? Well, what I specifically do is I'm a one-man band, so I can do it for the lowest dollar. So we don't have people coming in like the director, the camera guy, the sound guy, and then the editor. So that's quite uh, quite expensive. So um, the blockers, I would say, uh, in the last year, more and more people from all industries, clients, have embraced the idea, you know, and it's it's just something that I saw that was going to have to happen, that, you know, it's on, our world is online now. This is a perfect example of it, you know. Absolutely. Um, we wouldn't be meeting otherwise, would we? Right. So, and you, you can develop a personal brand and, and express your vision within your industry and become a thought leader. Adrian, I want to go across to you and ask you a quick question because when I mentioned about the idea of the uh, being a, a, a doer and being a leader as a doer rather than just a, the positioning, there was an exclaim on your face that would say that you might have experienced some people who said that they could do but maybe didn't do. No, no, I think it was actually a, a positive affirmation because that is the next step, isn't it? The thought leader and the thought doer. Or are, are the thought doers the one that, that, that need to become the leaders because by doing sometimes they are not often seen uh, and perhaps the leading will then inspire the next generation to follow, which kind of goes into what I, I was thinking about enablers and blockers. Um, I mentioned earlier about mentoring and sharing. I have been listening to Mary Portis, who is a very influential retail guru in the United Kingdom. And she has a podcast called The Kindness Economy. And it talks about, and the mantra is, people, planet, profit. And I think that's a very good way of turning it upside down. Put the profit at the bottom, put the people at the top, and put the planet in the middle. I think if, if big business can enable that, I think it will make a better world for us all, but it does mean that we need to really rethink about how businesses use their, their you know, their PL and their, their profit. Where does it go? In terms of blockers, I think it's mindset. Um, there's a very famous phrase by Mies van der Rohe, the uh, world-renowned architect, only an idea has the power to spread so far. But people can block that idea with their mindset and it's changing people's minds very quickly to realize that as in the words of Greta, your house is on fire and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're running out of it. 2050 is not far away. We've got a lot of work to get there. And I believe what you said is those who, who arrive at 2050 with their you know, a net zero, they're behind the curve. I think we need to speed up a lot. We need to speed up a lot faster. And I, I think COVID has probably made us think about that, but also derailed a lot of academic work that could have gone in to getting, you know, we've kind of, we're kind of losing two years out of the world uh, progress. That means it's going to be 2024 before we get back on our feet. We need to get moving. We need to get moving quite quickly. So that would be what I'd say is the enable and blocker. And yes, thought doers and thought leaders. Good and, point. And the idea that we're late, you know, that we've lost some time, we're running behind. Yeah. There's a bunch of things we just don't need to do. You know, like, like we can we can step over and just say Look, that would have been nice to do, but maybe we didn't need to do that. How do we get the step change? How do because if we just go along in a linear fashion, that's going to take a long, long time. Whereas there could be some of those innovations that actually just mean we step over a whole bunch Absolutely. of things. I mean, I think we talked last time that um, this the getting together digitally and, and sharing on Zoom, we've accelerated uh, online platforms by, was it 24 months or something? In, in, in effectively three months. We all had to, the world had to get online all together. Um, so we did. 
yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I refer to where this room that I'm in is like the International Design Station of just circling the world on Zoom, you know, wherever I am. It doesn't really matter. I used to circle the world on by burning up fossil fuels and sitting in an aluminium tin can for most of my life, you know. So so I think that's a, a really big difference there. And Francesca, I saw your hand go up. Give give us your thought there because it's burning. Thank you. I was just thinking about when we were thinking about the doers and the thinkers and that we're going into a digital age. We're mostly talking about the companies. Just how can we implement that into a school system with people my age and younger? We all have to do our classes on Zoom. We're stuck not with our friends or our teachers and makes it difficult to learn or just to grow up into an adult. How could we make it better for people my age and younger? And, And what's really interesting is the model that you're doing for school was designed for an age which is well past. And so the idea of sitting in classrooms and sitting in classes and doing linear learning um, isn't actually something that we need to do. Uh, you know, there have been many examples where people have been able to accelerate their pace through uh, self-paced learning, um, working out skills gaps. But we have a school system and people have to go through that and there's bureaucrats who have worked out how it should be done. And because the bureaucrats don't know how to do it any other way or measure it any other way, we're asking people to do what we've always done before. And so there's there's the trap for innovation, which isn't that the idea or the technology exists. It's how do the gatekeepers feel comfortable that that new technology is going to be acceptable or better than what they've previously had. And that's, that's why one of the big blockers is that people who are gatekeepers a long way behind because they're involved with status now, what we call the status quo. They're not involved with status next. And they can't think about next because they get paid to think about now. And and, and when you begin to understand that there's people in this world who get paid to keep things as they are and there's other people trying to go and advance them, you realise there's a tension there. So 100% with you. Um, I do need to go in here and ask Karen... You know, my observation about the built space is that there's so many opportunities for people to be innovating and trying to work out how to tread more lightly on the planet. But because that's not part of build codes, are you finding you've got generous clients who are trying to do that as an investment for their their children and their grandchildren's future, or they're trying to get in and out of the job at the lowest cost? Who cares about the planet because they don't have to? Uh, unfortunately, we still have a few of our clients that are looking at build costs, um, but we are coming a lot more on how do we actually change the environment? What do we take from the, the lessons we've learned in the last year? And we've all learned that this was not a two or three month blip. This is not going away. And it is changing the way we all work and the way we travel and the way we live in our homes and use our spaces and uh, you know so there's there's we were designing is designing for safety designing for comfort for designing for security and that that's more of this of sustainable side as opposed to you know, using recycled materials and that kind of thing, which is still in it. We're trying to do as much as possible and we try to be, uh, you know, sustainable with all the materials we use. But it's more about how we actually use the space to make it um, more user-friendly, more adaptable, um, 
more human and as Julie was saying is listening to people and who they are and how we work together and how we communicate and and it's really I think what I'm taking from the last year is it's really changing the way that we live and work and communicate and um, even the way we, we were delivering projects you know how we deliver those projects is we've just designed a, a complete full scope hotel um, all through the concept schematic design everything we're now in design development phase and we haven't met the client yet we haven't been to site yet we've we've been appointed through covid and we're now doing everything on zoom and it just proves that we can actually do it like you mark i was traveling all, all of us here ag and julie we're all traveling um you know crazy times two three times a month at least. And now we've we've managed to have a whole year without any of us being on an airplane. And yet we're still here. We're still in business. It just proves we can actually do it. And obviously there will be moving forward. Obviously, we would like to travel again, but I hope that we don't go back to the madness that it was before because we've proven we don't need to. Exactly. And we can actually function and and we can communicate with each other and we can get through it. It has slowed down the process somewhat but it is still very doable. So I think it's just taught us that, you know, we can design these beautiful projects and we can be more aware of the environment that we are designing for a more sustainable future. And we can do it from, from where we are right now. We don't have to be on the tin can, as you said, yeah. you know. One of, the, one of the architects who regularly joins us, uh, Dylan Brady, who does a lot of projects in uh, Greater China. And he was referring to the fact that one of the benefits of COVID is that there's not as many tea ceremonies, which are then delaying the project and there's these <laughs> grand, grand moments. But six months later, he said to me, well, the issue about not having the tea ceremonies is I don't get to speak to the most senior person and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. And now I'm caught with three or four levels down who are trying to make decisions. I know when I speak to the the head person, they get the vision. When I'm speaking to the staff, they don't. So he's found that there's the projects are going at a faster pace, but he's also now got the quality of the decisions aren't what they used to be. So you're going, oh, it's going to be interesting. I wonder if we're going to get back on the plane so that we can go see that person who's going to make that strategic decision. I miss the tea ceremonies, I have to say. I, you know, quite job, but I'm, I'm missing China. I miss the tea ceremonies. I miss all of that. It was a beautiful part of the day and starting the project. We'd sit down and for hours we would just drink tea and talk. And then, then you know, eventually we'll get to the point of the project and why we're all here. But let's just drink some more tea. But but like so today, we just keep, we just came off of a, a, a Zoom meeting with our client who's in Malaysia and, and he is the decision maker and he was on the call whilst driving his car and we were going through some, some detail issues on the project and, and he was driving his car at the time so it just shows it can happen. It can. You, you can do all sorts of things here. Julie, help us out here about enablers and blockers. You, you had a really big blocker that took place in 2020. It was meant to be like a year of rediscovery for you, of exploring, and somebody took away your opportunity to go explore everywhere, didn't they? Yeah, I'll just call it. <laughs> <laughs> but my blocker became my enabler, as they say. Um, because it turned out to be a year of an inward journey rather than a travel around the world journey. And I've learned an awful lot about myself and learned a lot about new things. And um, I think COVID 
ironically, everyone kind of ended up with a little bit of a gap year because nobody could travel. So <laughs> it wasn't just me last year. But I think it gave us time to think and um, if people did have time to reevaluate the things that are important to them and what they value and what they don't value as much. And I think Adrian's point about people, planet, profit, I would tend to disagree with that. I think it's people, planet, reward. And I don't think reward necessarily means profit. And profit generally means that there's some element of greed involved. And greed usually means the people that have get more and more and the people who don't have get less and less. But if we think about reward, we think about equity, we think about inclusiveness, then that word profit can take on a, a totally different meaning. And I would give it a different word, such as reward, so that we could um, take the limited resources that we have in this world, whether it's you know, money or environment or energy or whatever it is, and more equitably share those across the world. Yeah. Because eventually, just as COVID has shown us, it's like the world's biggest lesson. I'm not well unless you're well, unless everyone on this call is well. It doesn't matter how much, how, which, how good I feel. I don't have any freedom as long as everybody else is um, potentially sick. I think COVID's taught us we need to take care of each other in order to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Some, some people have learned, have learned that lesson, but I think that's what's been, I think redefining that and really looking at our what we do value and how we can take those values and spread them out across the world is probably the, one big opportunity. And I'm very positive about the future. I think it is changing. I think it's an exciting time to be alive. I think we should all be glad that we're here right now. We've got an opportunity to do something about it. Yeah, and look, and I think there's this interesting thing about the idea of it, previous eras have been uh, very masculine in their in their behaviours, which was where profit comes from. Profit is about win, you know. That's that's where it comes. The idea, the the more nurturing side, is actually about gain. How have you added? What you know? What did what did you get financially that was an addition to you? What did you get for the environment that was an addition? What did you get from a social equity perspective that was an addition? They're all to me. That's the future that we're heading to. Is about what are we adding and how are we gaining, which is a cousin of profit, but it's probably a more sophisticated version than profit. So I want to go through with everybody here, and I want to see if you can take us home. We're going to do a, a lap of everybody, and we're going to ask you, it'll be a better future when. Chelsea, it'll be a better future when. Um, it will be a better future when we are able to have those face-to-face -face conversations again, but I think we'll move towards a hybrid model where we're able to better prioritize. So similar to what Karen was saying, I think we won't go back to the full-on chaos of travel that it was before, but I think we'll prioritize the meetings that are the most important that need to happen in person. And that, for me, will be a very welcome return to sort of that hybrid middle model. Yeah. Elliot, it'll be a better future when? Uh, it will be a better future um, if there's no cost clean energy for all people. Awesome. Nailed it beautifully there. Uh, Francesca, it'll be a better future when? It'll be a better future when we're all just more accepting, all ready to learn about other people and what we can do to do better. Yep. Felisa, it'll be a better future when? <laughs> um, I think uh, when we are being more adaptive to the new environment and um, understand each other's, then we'll make it better. Mm -hmm. 
Fantastic. And then seeing we're on uh, off mute there, Karen, it'll be a better future when? Uh, it'll be, for me, it'll be when we can when we can travel again freely and we can enjoy that freedom that we had before, but use it wisely, for example, to see our families and not just exhaust ourselves out, just crazily running around the world for business and putting work first. I think we can put our families and friends first and hopefully the life work balance will enable us to be successful in our work and uh, be able to see our families again yeah, and have them and give them big hugs. When the planet and the natural world that we inhabit and the human species that we are are truly living in harmony, I think that will be a world that I would be very happy to live in. Fantastic. And yes, it'll be a better future when. When the world can be as one, where we understand and embrace cultural, ethnic, racial differences and understand them deep in our heart for world harmony. Love it. And Julie, take us home here. It'll be a better future when? It'll be a better future when people aren't afraid. Absolutely. Everybody, it's been wonderful to spend an hour exploring with you about when it'll be a better future and to listen to our younger next generation folk to be talking about what's going on there. I'm absolutely humbled when that happens. And this is the fourth that we've done in this series around the next generation. Please give each other a huge round of applause. This has been great. Come on. This is great. And, uh, and then we'll be publishing this online. We're going to follow up with you. Thank you so much. And this is the start of the journey. And um, please make sure that everything you're doing where you're being a little bit nicer to the planet every day. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.